good to write this song about you I changed my mind I waste another rhyme I wasted time I was thinking about the last time we spoke It's been a while I Told you go back to your life For I miss you and mine I be missing our time Peace, peace, peace This is a Guest in the House podcast I am one of your co-hosts David Shanks, a.k.a. Trom Diggs I'm the other co-host, Mickey Hess Absolutely, absolutely Another one, another one Question before we get going. Mm-hmm. I guess we've already gotten going. But um a listener who I live with um <laughs> asked me the other day, she said, yeah. Well, Rachel, they were talking about Rachel. Hey Rachel, um she asked me, What does Mickey think about Biggie? Because we, you know, she was listening to the episode about the mainstream versus like mm-hmm. the underground stuff and the bad boy adverse um, <laughs> you have to a uh, bad boy and just that blind spot of Beanie Siegel and such. And she was like, I'm curious to know what he thinks about Biggie. And I said, you know what? I don't know. I don't think we've ever really had an in-depth Biggie conversation. Oh, I love Biggie. That's the short answer. <laughs> so, um, so my very favorite music from Biggie is that footage of him at like 15 years old freestyling on the corner in front of the the bodega. bodega? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, what I don't love about some of Biggie's music is the production and the flash. I could see you not. Well, that's and that was the that's that's why the question came up because you yeah. know obviously. When you think bad boy, you do think big. After Puff, you probably sure. think big. And so yeah, I was yeah. like, I don't know. I I know I was like, I always got the impression that you respected Biggie. Oh, I love Biggie. I was like, I don't, I never knew if he was like, you know, what you would consider a fan. Of. Definitely, definitely a fan of Biggie, fan of the locks. Ah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, so you're for not, real. You're not completely blind to the bad boy no. sound. <laughs> no, I mean, you really couldn't avoid it, number yeah, one. Yeah, um, that's for sure. That's yeah, for sure. like, uh, I feel like for me, Biggie started out on that corner. Okay. A- right. As he described himself very vividly in his music. But by the time he's on the boat. Right. <laughs> so you're, you're definitely more ready to die than life after death. Yeah. Yeah. I could yeah. See and who knows where he would have taken it. I mean, he was he was murdered at 24 years yeah. old, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, as far as the trajectory of just the very small amount of music we got from him in the grand scheme of things, I lean a lot more toward the first album for sure. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Uh, I think I do too, actually, to be honest with you. I could see but, that. Um, yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, I guess I see, I do see the genius in what Puff was doing. Especially for Biggie. Yeah. I feel like, and you know, in that way, I, I feel like we were cheated because I think Biggie would have been able to survive like that sound kind of dying. Yeah. He would have written that out. Yeah. I think he would have emerged mm. because, you know, he was, he was someone who, he was a craftsman. He was, a, yeah. you know, he studied the craft. I think he would have found, you know, whatever the, you know, he would have been able to still make music that was kind of classic, even once the bad boy sound kind of died down. And it would have been great to see how, and then, you know, just when you talk about the what ifs and, you know, what became oh, yeah. Jay-Z and how that would look with Biggie in the picture, you know, and, 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 and even like Nas and just the whole, that whole East coast kind of who's the best MC thing. It'd have been interesting to see with Biggie still kind of there applying pressure, how things would have went. Definitely. And you know, if, when it comes down to Biggie versus Pac, I don't really feel like I have to choose. Right. You know, I love both of their music and I think with both of them, I lean more toward their early releases Mm-hmm. Even though, I mean, 
you can't deny all Hail Mary of, all is an Fox amazing song. Releases are early, so <laughs> it yeah. feels well. Both of them, right? They all feel early at this point. But I hear what you're saying. And then, I, you know, Pac I, did so much more music though in yeah, the time he had. He put out yeah, so many tracks. Yeah, insane, insane amount of music. It's funny because I was, I think I'm like you. Like I had, you know, um, Brenda's had a baby single. I had if my homies call like on a cassette tape single. I had to strictly for my niggas album like on cd and then as he started to kind of climb i kind of was like eh, pock you know <laughs> but then you know posthumously when i went back i'm like oh this guy this guy is great oh, absolutely sure. absolutely amazing and some even some of the records that i kind of um you know, I wasn't super, super in tune because it was in the middle of what was going on and just, you know, obviously I had my biases because of where I'm from. So I don't want to say I tuned them out for a little bit, but I probably tuned them out for a little bit okay. and went back after and kind of, I mean, obviously we knew like, you know, Hail Mary and, you know, we knew that. We knew the songs. I knew the songs, but some of some, he had so much material. And Hail Mary is undeniably a great song. I mean, yeah, come on. Yeah, I mean, my favorite is probably um, "So Many Tears." Yeah, that's like an amazing. It's one of my favorite songs. Period. But see, um, I, I thought he was great on "Same Song," the old Digital Underground I, track uh, that he had a verse on. Of course he was. I mean, that's when I saw that, and then he put out Trapped maybe a year, year or two after yeah. that. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was, I was hip to all of that. I was yeah. into all of that. That, like I said, that early, the early stuff I was into. Definitely. Big time. But yeah, I never, you know, I never felt, you know, almost like the uh, Jay-Z Nas thing, you know, I, you know, they, they can operate in the same space without it having to be like, I hate sure. one, I like the other one. Obviously, I have my, like I said, my biases and kind of my my favorite. But um, no, love it. So, all right, well, yeah. you know, we satisfy that. Yeah. <laughs> so we've satisfied Rachel's curiosity. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, um, you sent me a... Um, a quote the other day that maybe um, we can dance with a little bit. Um, I think so. The other side of my life, academics. Correct. So I don't even know the person's real name. I just have the Twitter handle. Yeah, and that's all that matters these days. That's all that matters. <laughs> oh, and this is one of those people where the handle is different than the name? Yeah. I yeah. So that's no fun. Um, it makes it hard, <laughs> hard to find her. So let me see if I can pull her up real quick and see if I can get both of those. I mean, it's an ongoing conversation that we've been having about kind of um, academia. Yeah. And, um, you know, as, as it relates maybe to, to culture and, and hip hop and just um, even stretching beyond hip hop and just kind of history as it's being told and taught in Told school and taught so um her name is anakwana i see at grossmorn 29 okay and I, big ups to you yeah you can find her out there i'm not even sure you know i follow some people who follow her apparently and that's where i saw the tweet cool but she said all these new black studies positions expect one person to be able to cover every single subject about black people around the world. Meanwhile, the English lit position requires specialization in English lit from January 1765 to May 1765. Right. Now, was and, that connected to, to the little blurb um, from a university that we're not going to name for it was whatever not. purposes? Okay, you just sent me that kind of. I sent you that because it's an example. It's exactly what, what she's talking right. about. Right. I wasn't sure if she, um, she kind of posted that and then had added the commentary to it. But this was just something you sent to me, an assistant professor right. in global black studies, seeking anglophone, non-anglophone specialists whose research covers the lived experiences of people of African descent in any 
part of the world. I feel like I could fill that position. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, In a way, I feel like I could. It's, <laughs> it's such a broad, vague description. I definitely have research that covers the live experience. I have personal research. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that covers the lived experiences of people of African descent in any part of the world. Isn't that the broadest job description? I mean, if you translated that out of academia to, uh, you know, say the, the world of department stores, you're like, we want somebody that uh, has been inside a store before and that's, sort of knows how stores work. That's kind of what that sounds like. Seeking Shoe person, someone yeah. who's worn or <laughs> yeah. knows about shoes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's insane. I mean, I got up this morning as an Anglophone specialist mm -hmm. <laughs> whose research covers the lived experience of people of African descent. I definitely am a walking <laughs> research researcher of people. I've lived with them. Sure. I was born to one. <laughs> So your lived experience is the research. Yeah. In I, a way. Yeah. And then so, you have published research too. So, and I have published research as well. So, I, I, you know, right. That then being coupled with the statement um, from, I'm assuming this is a young lady. I'm hoping. It appears to be. I have no idea. On um, Twitter, it's just, you know, and, and like I said, we've talked about that. In many different ways, we talked about, uh, I think one of our early episodes, we talked about like 70% of the um, books in New York City being written by white authors. That's we in the New York City Public Library, yeah. Yeah, we talked about, um, you know, the whole 1619 project and the backlash mm -hmm. to that. And um, But this takes it from a different angle. This talks, uh, this talks about how the... Um, the consolidation, I guess, of black studies to this one, like, hey, if you know anything about black yeah. people, you're qualified <laughs> for the position, as opposed to how nuanced, let's say, you know, English lit, maybe, or... Yeah, let me give you a, a contrast. Here's a, a current ad again from this year, assistant professor of English, and then in parentheses, Shakespeare. <laughs> and they say qualifications, PhD in English with a specialization in Shakespeare. Right. Of particular interest are specialties in performance study, dramaturgy, gender criticism, and or Shakespeare's sources. Preference may be given to candidates with a subspecialty in Milton. <laughs> so so that, you got two guys. And so you're, now I don't know how versed you are in from an academic standpoint in Shakespeare. Not, not at all. So that's what I'm saying. So now you are a tenured professor of English. Yeah. You couldn't do that job according no, to that. No, no, I would never get hired specific for that. background in Shakespeare. That's right. I have a PhD in English and I've taught at universities for a little over 20 years now, but I'm not a Shakespeare guy. Correct. But by virtue of what that first ad is asking for, you could easily fill that role. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to apply for that one <laughs> <laughs> for reasons we'll go into in a few minutes here, I expect. But uh, right. yeah, I would be much closer to that one, honestly. And that really goes to show you like, this is a, this is a job ad. They want you to know all about one writer. And maybe a second guy too. If you if you got some Milton, that's cool. Mm -hmm. But you can get a whole job in just studying and teaching Shakespeare, or you can get a whole job in just knowing about black people, right? In right. sort of general, in any part of the world, in so, any time period. I, because, and you're you're gonna give me the um, or give us the stat again to refresh sure. our memories. But you've talked. Um, about, you know, the percentage of uh, African-American professors on a tenure track on college campuses, right? It's about 6% of tenure, tenure track professors in the U.S. are black and about the same percentage are Latino. So I think that 
how does the lack of um uh, uh, specificity <laughs> play into like that like the fact that anyone can kind of teach black studies right because it's so broad does sure. that in some kind of way lend to their not needing to be you understand what I mean like maybe if, if yep. it was like we need a black studies professor who has a concentration in the Harlem Renaissance. There you go. A Does that now period, become right? a nuanced thing that maybe, and not saying, of course, a white um, candidate could be well-versed in the Harlem Renaissance, but, mm. th- but does that create a situation where it's more likely that an African-American person would have taken that route? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know, honestly. Um, you're asking, I guess, if a black person is more likely to get this vague black studies job versus a Harlem Renaissance job. I'm, I'm, I'm just guessing that maybe, or asking maybe if the lack, like because there's no real, like concentration in this broad subject of black studies, mm-hmm. that it opens up for anyone to be able to fill that position. And maybe if it became a little more nuanced, it would require someone to be a little more in depth in their studies, which may create kind of like, you know, like again, if you're most likely you're exposed to something, you're exposed to something which makes you dig deeper. Sure. So I, I, I would think the more specific in terms of, knowledge of black history and events and art and culture that may correlate with black people more so than say Mm, just know anything about black people. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like that could go either way. I mean, my sense is that the university who posted the vague ad would be cool with the Harlem Renaissance person, cool with someone who studies like 1960s black visual art and painters and things, um, black dance. Um, well, what I'm well, right. Well, what yeah. I'm saying is, let's say the same way that other ad asked for Shakespeare specifically, Shakespeare. that the. Other, the first ad asked for the Harlem Renaissance yeah. specifically. That then means that you're a more versed candidate. Oh, exactly. I see what right. you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Part? It seems like you you're really looking for someone to teach a particular course to produce a particular type of research. So you could say Harlem Renaissance. You could say Langston Hughes instead of Shakespeare. You could say James Baldwin instead of Shakespeare, which might tighten the pool. Yes, absolutely. And you can almost sense a little desperation to the super vague ad. And my guess, because there's a whole lot of these positions, sort of vague black studies positions being advertised this year mm-hmm. um, in the wake of protest. Uh, I would imagine this so is a what scramble. Happened. There's a scramble. Let's get some people who can teach black stuff on here as quickly as possible. And students are demanding more representation of black mm. folks among the faculty. Mm. So they don't want to limit. They want to get as many applicants as possible and um, you know, figure out how to get more black professors onto campus, which is certainly a campaign I can get behind. Mm. So if you go all the way back to 1968, this is how black studies first started. Okay. Um, San Francisco State University, 1968, students went on a five-month strike Mm. demanding a black studies program. And that's how the first black studies program in American higher education came to exist. Wow. Now, over time, what has happened is um, universities have a a pretty short-lived commitment to these black studies programs. They tend to be underfunded. They tend to be pretty small as far as the number of faculty involved in them. And so over time, you know, if students aren't protesting, if students aren't pushing against the administration, these programs kind of fall by the wayside. Mm. So what happens, and it happened a lot this past year as we had, you know, the pandemic and you didn't have students going to dorms and paying money for meal plans. 
once universities started to see a little bit of that financial strain, they started to do things like say, well, let's try to combine the black studies department with the women's studies department. We can just sort of cram those two together because it's pretty much the same thing. We just mean like folks who aren't white men. Mm-hmm. So let's cram all that together and make it its own little department. Um, black studies and women's studies is one department now. Um, these programs also tend to be some of the first to be cut loose. You know, when money gets really tight, it tends to be some of the earliest things to go or to be sort of, you know, folded into other departments or programs. Right. So right. really the the commitment to diversifying the curriculum, to diversifying the professors can be pretty short-lived. When students aren't protesting, aren't making demands, it tends to go away pretty quickly. So, so- here we are in 2020 and essentially the same position we were in 1968. Mm. Mm. So in a situation um, like the one you just brought up where mm. there's a merger of the uh, women's studies department and the black studies department, yeah, how does that, and I'm sure it's different on different campuses, depends on the size of the schools and all of that, of course. Mm. So it's not a blank, it's not kind of like one answer. But just an example of how that shows up in like curriculum, like, you know, is, you know, how many maybe degree tracks there would be then if they could make that type of consolidation, how are like, you know, different classes kind of affected in terms of how many different classes you can take in that kind of um space? Yeah, it can go either way. So sometimes it's... um a combining of the curriculum. So you take a black studies department, a women's studies department and make it like a program in black studies and women's studies. So you're just studying women, studying both. black women, black people and, and women. women. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> or it can be just an administrative thing where they don't want to pay for two department chairs, don't want to pay for two different program budgets. So they just make me, they make me teach women's studies as well. Although I was hired to teach black studies. It, it could go that far, but I'd say more typically they just kind of combine it on paper. Mm. So like some schools have even combined like a philosophy department with a history department. Okay. The philosophy professors still teach philosophy. The history professors still teach history, but on paper they share a budget. Mm. Um, they have to kind of fight each other for resources. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So more typically they just kind of cram it together and logistically let the professors work out what's their turf. Okay. So I guess that would affect things like guest speakers and oh, just, yeah. just anything that requires a budget because it's a shared budget. Sure. We want to bring in a guest speaker. Should it be a black person or a woman or should we get, Oh, what about a black woman? Mm. Right. Mm. And I've mentioned before that when I've tried to bring in speakers who were black, they would ask me, or I've been asked at least in one case to wait until February. Mm. <laughs> right mm. and i guess if it's a black woman you have to find that sweet spot when it hits midnight on the 28th of february before it turns over to women's history month <laughs> and then she's right on the cusp she's, she's a little right bit of both there. months yeah she's right in there <laughs> yeah that's terrible so i mean it's just the design of these ads it's great to see universities committing this year and sometimes they're even hiring three people at once. You know, I've mm. seen like a cluster hire advertisement. We want to hire three professors in black studies. So that's great. It's three more probably black professors on campus. Although, you know, as you mentioned, I could apply for that job right. easier than the Shakespeare job. Right. And that's a problem already. Right. Why exactly am I a more likely candidate for the black studies job than the English PhD who knows Shakespeare? Yeah, I, 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 that you know, it struck me as, you know, it strikes me as as odd as well, and that's why that's why I asked yeah. because it's not that you shouldn't be able to do the um, black studies job at all because you're not black. It has nothing to do with that. It's more to me that, like I said, I don't even have a, a you know, post undergrad degree, and I feel like I'm qualified to take that position (laughs) based on what they're asking for. So, you know what I mean? However, had they said, um, you know, 
with a concentration, let's say, in black liberation movement from 19, you know, uh, 54 to 1970, you'd be like, ah, okay, that requires some real focus that I don't have. I know a little bit about a lot. Yeah. That takes me out of it. You know what I mean? It it may, and you would even probably say, all right, I can't do that. Yeah. You're going to need a real, but. You know, and those and ads I do think, exist. You do see those, but they're they're kind of few and far between. Gotcha, gotcha. But those kind of just bro- like not broad, but um, wide arranging, but specific, nuanced kind of coursework and um, research and study work seem to be reserved more for like Anglo history or anglo studies yeah i mean you see it reflected in the curriculum as well as the professors they hire to teach it i mean a lot of schools you still have to take like one course in your core requirements that intersects somehow with black culture and Mm. maybe one course that has something to do with women and then i then i was going to ask yeah because i think we touched on this before how would implementing like i guess this is more of a history question getting back to kind of the stuff we (laughs) talked about with the 1619 in other words like some would you know those who would argue against the need for like a black studies department Mm -hmm. um would say you know like we don't need to focus on a black studies department, you know, and then the counter argument to that would obviously be we wouldn't if black studies was included in studies, period. Exactly. So now we're back to Carter Woodson. Right. Right. And so if we're going to make an effort to say, hey, we should include in the curriculum black studies, but then we're just going to kind of, you know, half ass it. Mm hmm. Then, you know, I don't know. I, I think that's where you're going in terms of saying we're kind of right where we were in 1968. Cause it's like, well, we have them, mm-hmm. but if it's going to be this general, then what, you know, I don't know. So these black studies departments are basically like the February of their curriculum, you mm. know, just as we've talked about, Black History Month wasn't meant to be isolated and sort of put into this February ghetto and just stay there. It was supposed to be like a stepping stone to spread Black culture and history throughout the curriculum, but it never really happened. Mm. And yes, kind of the same way with these programs. When there's a real backlash and a push from students to say, look, we've got to have more Black professors, more Black topics in the curriculum. There's a short-lived movement to meet that demand, and then when the push stops, when the students ease up a little pressure, they graduate, new students come in and feel like, oh, we have a Black Studies department. We don't need to push anymore. It all kind of gets pushed aside. I'd be curious to know how this, um, you know, what the difference would be at a uh, HBCU. Absolutely. Yeah, you're going to find a real difference there for the most part. You're talking in terms of professors, curriculum, just both. um and 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 kind of how how detailed yeah, they get in in the studies like within within these curriculums within this um the schools so mm-hmm. you know whether it's the you know history or or, or um black studies or or just the English department or, you know, and more so not, not so much, let's say for, um, black studies specifically, but how much, I guess, quote unquote, black studies is included in the, uh, the bigger kind of like English lit or, you know, creative writing or, you know, like some of these bigger programs how much of um black studies or blacks you know scholarly work is implemented into just the overall kind of thing not the specific black studies stuff 
So basically, if you go to Howard, you hope you don't have to major in black studies to get some black instruction or instruction would, in black topics. You would hope so. I mean, I would, you know, I think, you're right, I think that should be across the board. Mm-hmm. You know, like we talked about before in terms of, um, you know, just the history of our country, especially in terms of arts and, and literature and, and, and things like that. I mean, our our contribution, our meaning the um, African-American contribution from an from a uh, literature and arts standpoint just from history in general has you know probably looms larger than mm-hmm. our actual population like you know what i mean like <laughs> so sure. yeah we're 20 percent uh you know 15 14 percent 13 percent of the uh population but you know, from an from an arts and literature and, and, and just social kind of space, we we loom much larger than that in terms of impact. Yeah, and even to look at just English, I mean, if you want to argue, well, Shakespeare is Shakespeare, you really can't compare him to anyone else. All right, if you want to really want to buy that argument, you know, there are plenty of English departments that have a whole class on James Joyce. Mm-hmm. You know, an Irish writer. Um, Irish modernist writer, active, you know, 1918 to 1928 or so. We have a whole class on Virginia Woolf, another white writer. You're going to find far fewer single author classes on black authors. Mm -hmm. You're not going to find a ton of Ellison classes, a ton of Baldwin classes. Right. A ton of Richard Wright classes. Right. Typically, you'll see them combined into more like a Harlem Renaissance class, like you said. Right. You know, where you right. get kind of a time period, look at several writers at once. And probably the worst example of someone abusing an African American studies department was University of North Carolina. Um, if you remember their basketball scandal where they had a lot of their students enrolled in fake classes. They were basically enrolled in the African-American studies department. Wow. Yeah. Over 18 years, um, North Carolina's African and Afro-American studies department were sort of running this scheme to offer fake classes to basketball players, Mm. um, a great number of whom were black. Um, I'm I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) I do remember that. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I think it was, it may have been basketball and football. I'm trying to think it was a quarterback, I believe of the um, North Carolina football team who was also a basketball player. And I think he was, he was caught up in that. Yeah. Mm. Wow. 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 So just creating fake, Kind of yeah. courses and just throwing them in the African-American studies department. A whole fake department. Yeah. And amazing. that kind of tells you something about what that university might feel is the worth of an African-American studies department, right? It might. It might. They weren't going to do that with their English department. They weren't going to do that with their philosophy department. Mm. Yeah, I think that whole case is pretty telling as far as what universities think of these programs once they get them started. So do you think that in the um, in a university kind of uh, system that there needs to be, I don't know, a um, people say like it's time to kind of, you know, re kind of um, – um, the word I'm looking for, but kind of take a take a, a a new look at like the Constitution, yeah, and and bring it to like 2020. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, same thing we talk about, kind of like with the Electoral College, and is it is it is it needed now? Is it is it effective? You know, today, is there this tradition? I mean, we have you know we know that in many ways history kind of begins um in terms of even antiquity or whatever like you know history kind of begins with like the greeks and romans and that's kind of where we start mm-hmm. like our world history and you don't then, get as much egypt huh right and then we go 
we go forward into that and it's just you know it's kind of just the history of the white man i mean you know to be (laughs) to be fair right um and so the classics and you know the greats and the just the things that we've all grown up even me being a black kid growing up whether i've read all of these things you know our high schools are named after these guys you know ellison (laughs) ralph waldo ellison not richard um yeah ralph ellison who wrote invisible man yeah but um you know henry wadsworth longfellow you know all these guys that i've heard of (laughs) my whole life ernest hemingway edgar Allan poe the walt whitman bridge walt whitman that's who i was thinking of all of the uh all of the greats is there time for much in the way that we talked about even um to make a hip-hop connection we talked Mm -hmm. about how like uh at some point we're gonna have to start like considering kendrick in like the larger scope instead of just kind of saying oh he's he's top three right now we're gonna have to start Mm -hmm. saying well you know based on this body of work these three or four projects five projects now i guess that have come out three albums we're gonna have to start putting him in mount rushmore conversations (laughs) period not just kind of post 2010 sure and do you find like with our with our studies with our history with that there needs to kind of be a reckoning of sorts of like well based on now what we have from the beginning of written history to 2020 we're gonna have to start putting some more and diverse classics and greats into the conversation so that and not just say black studies but just you know american lit sure or you know just literature from this period of time or history from this period of time like um how do we and how do we get there? Yeah, I mean, you shouldn't. The only place you read black authors as an English major shouldn't be in like the one required course in black American lit. That is it, it's, and it, those are generally required, or they, generally you only have to take one. One, okay. yeah. So yeah, which kind of sums up all everything <laughs> every black person has written. Sure. Just, you know, in general, the black experience the, mm-hmm. that you've lived or researched yes. <laughs> to go mm-hmm. back to that ad again. That's mm-hmm. kind of what it is. Most English degrees, you could make it all the way through as an undergrad and only be required to interact with black writers maybe once. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't some great professors out there who aren't really trying to build in more diversity into every class. So that when you take like, say, American Lit since 1910, you'll have a several black writers represented in that. Um, but there are plenty of professors who think, well, you know, since we have this black lit course, I don't really see the need to do that with my syllabus because that's covered over there. Got you. Got you. Right. And that's, that's what I suspected. And then also even let's take diversity, (laughs) that diversity word, let's take diversity out of the equation. Mm Is do you see that there may be just more room for newer voices period in that kind of framework in what is like considered classic or, you know, standards? There are, I think for sure, you know, we're moving away a little more from like the great men approach. Although Mm. we did just see a, a 2020 job ad for a Shakespeare expert. Correct. Um, we're moving a little further away from those single authored courses where you, you looked as, at Joyce or Wolf as just this master and you really studied the hell out of one author and moving into a little bit more of an expansive look that says, okay, so back at the time Joyce wrote, it could be really dangerous to come out as a queer writer. So mm. like, you know, who was writing then and what was their experience like? Mm. Um, you know, we are seeing a little more of an expansive approach that I think is good. Um, at the same time, you know, we've seen that before. We certainly saw that in the early nineties and it kind of frittered away over time. 
So again, it's like this push for more diversity woven through the curriculum. And then, you know, well, I'll kind of go back to doing him and William Faulkner and Joyce. And we talked about, we brought up Biggie at the top of the um, episode. And so, and, you know, obviously this is part of your work. How and where do you see, like, the MC? In in the most classical sense of you know what what me and you kind of define as like the art form, sure, of emceeing like the the poet, you know. And where do you see those people that we are, and we're starting to see it a little bit? I think uh, you know I know Tupac has a course at USC, right? Sure. Um, Nas has like a fellowship at Harvard or something. Yeah, and there's a so, Nas course too. I think right, uh, Michael I Eric Dyson so. taught a Nas course. I believe so. So there is that going on. Yeah. But do you see a time where that yeah, that you know, we're seeing this ad that says or you know, uh, calling for an English lit professor with a um specialty in 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 Kendrick Lamar and mm. you know poets of that generation or something. Yeah, I mean it'll depend on which departments try to claim these folks. You know, does the music department want to say that's their domain? So mm. they really don't want to see a lot of English courses on Kendrick. Um the department I work in, we have a professor who teaches a class on Beyonce. Wow. Um, yeah, she does it in kind of a cool way. They look at Beyonce's influences. So you read a lot of poets, you listen to some, you know, some old soul and R&B and then kind of trace it all the way forward through Beyonce. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, it's really tracing Beyonce's influences is kind of the point of the course, but, you know, a huge focus on her. Um, yeah, I mean, I do think that's happening. As far as how long it's going to be before you see an ad for a Kendrick Lamar specialist, the same way you would a Shakespeare or Milton specialist, we may be quite a ways from that, <laughs> unfortunately. I just, I guess, and I, I guess more so, I guess the question that I'm, that I'm, that I'm trying to get to yeah. is like, you know, what, even in this kind of larger scoped kind of all of it is black stuff. Like anything that's has a black person attached to it is then black stuff. And, you know, is there a bleeding in of quote unquote black stuff into the mainstream, you know, curriculum? There is. I just hope it sticks because mm. there has been before in the nineties, there has been before in the sixties. Um, and some of that is carried forward, but Every time so far, it's really lost momentum. Mm. So, I mean, I fear it will this time too, that we'll see a lot of job ads for black studies specialists or, you know, a very broad sense of specialty this year and maybe next year, and then it'll kind of taper off. And we're talking about the university level, but, and, you know, neither of us are in the um, K through 12 world, yeah. but- I would guess that this is a luxury kind of at the university level. Like none of that, none of this conversation is even happening at the K to 12 space. Like they're only kind of probably dealing in the regular old curriculum that I had when I was 11. I think there's, there's some push toward it. They, I think high schools don't give their students, for the most part, the same freedom to make demands or to protest or certainly not to go on strike like university parent, students have, have done. More right? of a parent thing on that yeah. level, I would assume, right? And, and when you get parents pushing for it, you're going to have more parents pushing against it at the same um, time, right? Um, I would guess that. And when you talk about just representation, I mean, some of the recent numbers I've seen – something like only 2% of K through 12 teachers are black men. Mm, I and saw something similar. That's even lower. It's, it's about 3% black men, about 3% black women in universities. Mm. So it's even slightly lower than it is in universities. Wow. Wow. 
I don't. What? 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 From your from from your vantage point, because mm -hmm. you know it's easy for me to kind of like, but what do you see as the you know maybe the 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 main couple of disadvantages of that being the case, especially when we're talking about like um you know quote unquote the uh, inner city kind of public school space. Well, you know, if you're a young black kid in school, especially a young black boy in school, you start to to feel like, why don't my teachers ever look like me? And that's certainly something I never had to worry about. Um, I don't believe, no, I'm, I'm certain I did not have a black man as a teacher until college. Mm. Um, and now for me as a white kid, I think that obviously puts me at a disadvantage too. If most of my teachers are white men, and the rest of them are white women. I mean, I'm only seeing a certain perspective. Mm -hmm. And I'm only seeing like a certain realm of uh, experience that people bring to the classroom. It's not all about just what you studied in grad school. Right. You get a much more well-rounded ed education with a more diverse body of teachers. Right. How about and, you? What did your teachers look like as you were coming up? Well, you know, as a... Um you know, in grade school, I went to a private school. That's right. So, yeah, I I, I had all Caribbean mm -hmm. teachers. <laughs> but then in you kind of merged into the the rest of the class in junior high, or was it high school? I was like a you know second grade through eighth grade mm -hmm. kind of same school okay. kid. You know what I mean? I went to the same private school from like yeah from second grade to eighth grade. Okay, so. Um, when I got into high school is kind of when, you know, the whole, I think I had one, maybe I think one, um, chemistry teacher that was a, um, a brother okay. <laughs> and that was it. Everybody else was, um, was white for sure. Wow. Really? I, so that yeah, must've been sure. a pretty striking contrast. It was, it was, it was. It was. And, um, you know, I, just a different environment altogether, you know, bigger classrooms uh, and just, yeah, not having that kind of, you know, there's a detachment mm -hmm. in, in high school that wasn't there in, you know, uh, grade school. In grade school, I want my third grade teacher, Mrs. Edwards, um, bless her soul. I knew where she lived. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like we, we, walk, we walk by her. Sometimes we'd like walk with her to her house because she lives like close to us. We'd walk her like up Utica Avenue and like, yeah. oh, Miss Edwards. And she would, you know what I mean? Like, so it was a different, you know, it was just a different kind of experience altogether. And you know what I mean? High school. And then obviously in college, it became like kind of like that, like that's your teacher. Mm. And it's like an authority figure, and that's it. There's yeah. no like relationship. Really, You're there to scare you into behaving. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, get, and give you these lessons, and you learn them, and I grade you. It, it was high school, if I'm correct, where you you were a classmate of Chris Emden, who wrote one of my favorite books on this topic. Correct. Yeah, so Chris Emden wrote a book called "For White Folks Who Teach in the Hood," and the rest of y'all too. Mm -hmm. Um. Mm -hmm. I think he has a new one coming out next year. I hope I'm not blowing him out called Ratchetdemics. So I can't wait for that one. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. If you want to see how these topics apply to public school very specifically, definitely check out Chris Emden's work. Right. Right. And we should, we should definitely, uh, we should definitely reach out to Chris if you're listening. Yeah. If you're out um, there, yeah, he's at Columbia that. now. Am I right? Correct. Teachers yeah. college. There yep. you go. Yep, yep. And this is kind of his yeah, he's definitely this is his whole bag kind of um you know creating that relatability and 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 you know engaging children, you know, where where they at, you know, kind of. And I recommend of, his book to people all the time. You know, I, yeah. I find a lot of people who went through education degrees, master's degrees and they're now teaching high school or junior high mm -hmm. and they just didn't get much of that kind of training unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. And the the material is out there. Um, I I don't know why it hasn't really worked its way a little more into the curriculum. Yeah, and we all, I mean, we all, 
even beyond the the representation in the curriculum, mm. right? And you're talking, and you're talking about the representation just in the classroom. Absolutely, you know, and you know, I think that sometimes in the and this this may be a, a very liberal stance, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, you know the you know our colorblind society and and just not wanting to identify the differences in us and just kind of wanting to say we're not all different we're all the same and so mm. it doesn't matter and we should all be able to and you know I, I think we do ourselves a disservice as a society when we don't acknowledge the differences like hey you know black kid in the bronx is gonna learn different sure <laughs> the way they process information is going to be different yeah, that's why when you say black experiences from, you know, any area, what the hell are you talking about, right? Yeah, just from anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so black experiences become sort of a monolith that, okay, so anyone black kind of knows what we're talking about. Right. But we don't talk about white experiences in the same way. You know, and white experiences very, are very nuanced. That's a very mainstream outlook. Mm-hmm. On, on the black experience, right? It's a yeah. very, very much like, oh, you're black. So it's kind of what you talked about on one, um, before we talked about, like, um, uh, we talked about kind of assigning like mentors, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Where, you know, a black student will come to a white professor and say, hey, I'm having difficulty with X, Y, Z. And he'll kind of be like, hey, talk to this black guy, yeah. talk to this professor. <laughs> Because <laughs> he gets exactly what you're going through. And then he's, he's got two, 30 you know? students he is mentoring and, and they're left with a couple. Right, <laughs> right, right. And, you know, because the assumption is always going to be like, you understand black. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, that's that's weird yeah, in I of mean, itself. Black professors who are going to be hired into these jobs, I fear they're going to be really overburdened their first few years on the job. Mm. Because in a lot of ways, they're hired to be the the expert on black experiences in any part of the world. <laughs> so I think right. other professors are going to probably send a lot of students to them. Oh, this student is kind of unhappy with how this thing goes on campus. Uh, you better go talk to this new person we hired. They're the expert about the lived experiences of people of African descent. And do you find, and I'm, I, I, you, you might have already kind of said this, that white professors kind of feel like i don't know if a sense of relief is the, is the right word but kind of like you know oh we have black faculty now mm-hmm. go, like go go, yeah. <laughs> go go to go talk to the black faculty like i'm i'm off the hook now like that does happen i think part of it is just laziness they're glad to be off the hook and then part mm-hmm. of it is a lot of white professors who have not done much work at all to study race worry that they're walking into a minefield. Like, uh, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to maybe say the wrong thing or maybe a student is going to take it the wrong way and then I'm going to get in trouble. It's going to be in the student newspaper. I just don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to talk about this stuff. Mm. And, you know, it may be true, but you know, as a professor, you kind of have a responsibility to educate yourself. Even if you came through a graduate program that didn't make you pay attention to black culture at all, it's time to do it. You know, you can't just pass people on to the black professor in your department forever. Now, from, from your world, from, you know, from, from your perspective, and then even, I'm asked two questions, I guess. Because, you know, we always want to offer some sort of solution or some sort of, you know, way to kind of reverse these things. Sure. Where do you see, I guess, you know, and we talk about allyship, where do you see your role as a um, college level tenured professor in creating, you know, more balance? And then for me being kind of like a practitioner of an, you know, black art. Um, who has just some connection to, you know, academia because of my relationships, like what can I do? I guess that's, that's, that's really what, like, what can I do? I guess, other than getting into academia and trying to 
or like, you know what I mean? Like, what do I, how, how can I really create impact from my space? Well, you want me to address that second one first? What yes. can you do as yeah. Trom Diggs, David yeah. Shanks? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you've already spent some time talking on panels at universities, um, coming in as a guest speaker at universities. So you're interacting with that world, whether you're officially part of it or not. Right. Um, second, you know, I, I've definitely encouraged you to look into grad school, look into the the professor route. Um, I think you'd be great at it. You know, I think you're definitely somebody that any university could use. I think places would be fighting over you. Um, so yeah, I think my, my answer for you is you're already doing a lot. Um, if it's a world you want to be a part of, I think you'd be a real benefit. Yeah, no, that's the question. Yes. <laughs> now that you see the scary side of it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think, I guess the other question is kind of for me, like what, what can I do as a white professor when I see these bad patterns? Um, yeah, I mean, I can volunteer to be on hiring committees and volunteer to help write up job ads. Um, just to kind of keep a hand in what kind of ads we're posting when we mm -hmm. hire a professor, how the interview process goes, um, you know, what we're looking for to, to add to our campus. And then to really make sure that, you know, when we hire, we hire a black professor, whether it's in my department or in another department across campus, I hate to see everybody pile work on that person. Mm. whether it's because they feel uncomfortable doing it themselves, uncomfortable advising a, a minority student in this direction when there's somebody who, who may have much more experience relatable to this student. Mm. But you got to remember, like, that's just one person you've hired. You know, there's still only about 6% of professors are black, 6% mm. are Latino. So She'd really only be sending about 6% of students to them. If you think about it, you either need to <laughs> right? you either need to create more positions if you're really interested in increasing representation. You know, let's bump it up to about 18% of black professors that would match the population numbers a little more. Right. Um, 18% right. of Latino professors, right? Um, don't think that you can find your way out of this situation. By just putting up one vague ad for, for a professor who knows the experience of African people all over the world, anytime throughout anywhere history. Anywhere in the world. Yeah. Anywhere <laughs> in the world. And sort of implied is in any time throughout history. We just need one of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the gist of that ad, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. look, just apply. We yeah. need one of you here <laughs> to teach this stuff. And we're probably going to come and want to take a picture of you to put on our main homepage for the university. Mm, mm, gotta um, love that. Oh, I've, I've heard that from a lot of black students at different universities I've worked at. You know, like this, the people from the website are always trying to put me on the website. <laughs> <laughs> and it's absolutely true. I remember when I taught in That's Indiana, crazy. there were even fewer black students at that school than we have at Ryder. Mm. And yeah, just a couple kids, like all the time. You know, you want to take a picture of a Halloween party. You got to make sure this kid's in the picture. Right? So, so you would think this kid was just a socialite. Just anytime <laughs> anything happened on campus, there he it's was. Everywhere. Yeah. Yes. Look how active he is. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. So don't just make it a photo opportunity. Come on. Yeah. 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 All right, man. Um, I like it. I like it. This is uh, a conversation we definitely... Uh, that keeps coming up and it, it's necessary uh, and it's almost also almost goes hand in hand with kind of um, you know the hip hop uh, part of our podcast it's like hip hop and academia you know yeah definitely and so I think I think we wanna uh, we should definitely open up the conversation uh, for some you know kind of K through 12 definitely knowledge you see put some feelers out there see what we can oh yeah i think we should find yeah. some good folks yeah definitely 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 well we're gonna wrap man i think this so another episode of a guest in the house podcast you know me by now that's trom Diggs over there yep and that's mickey s all right <laughs> peace love and black power peace love and black power